Welcome to Stretch Four. Today we'll be discussing the NBA awards. We got a special episode, um, and on our, on the line we have Peter from Toronto. Yo, what up? What up? Josh in Ottawa. I can't wait to discuss the Mar DeRozan's candidacy. <laughs> and uh, I'm your host Raj, coming from Montreal. All right, guys. So we're approaching the end of the year with two games left in the season. Um, before we do our playoff preview pod. We're going to discuss some of the end-of-season awards. I know some of these awards are contentious, some of them less so. Um, but you know what? We're going to get right into it. So, Josh, I'm going to let you have the most important award of the year. Um, I Don't you dare mention DeMar Rosen in the category. Most um, improved player of the year. No, no, no. We're going to go straight to NBA MVP. Josh, I mean, you- again... I mean, I started the show mentioning the obvious choice. I mean, it clearly is DeMar DeRozan. I mean, you have the... Okay, I'll stop now. As James Harden. (laughs) James Harden, without a shadow of a doubt. I think he should have won last year over Westbrook. Uh, People took the triple-double debate to a whole other level. I mean, it's obviously an amazing feed and everything, but Harden should have won last year. He had, it. I think, about 12 to 13 more wins than OKC, at least, I believe. I think they won... 56 games, and OKC went around 47, so it was around, I guess it was 9-10 wins from last season, and uh, this year he's obviously had an amazing season, he's been consistent throughout the year, he only missed a couple games, and he's still averaging 31 points, uh, 8 assists, uh, I think 6 rebounds this year, shooting a very high percentage from the field, he's extremely efficient, and obviously the Houston Rockets are the number one seed in the entire NBA, uh, with home court throughout the playoffs, so I think the obvious choice this year is Harden. Though LeBron has made a you know a big comeback, especially in the last two months, and he's playing a ton of minutes, and he's brought the Cavs back into uh, you know being a, a top, hopefully a top three seed for the Raptors' case. But right now they're in the four seed. But um, obviously, I think James Harden is the clear-cut MVP this year. How do we feel about uh, James Harden's inability to play defense? And the Rockets fans just, you know, rely on the fact that he's a big body and he can guard the post because, you know, we have all these two guards playing the post apparently in their eyes. As compared to maybe a guy like LeBron who's more versatile in his defensive stature. Who, although he doesn't really play that much defense anymore, but the potential is still there for it. I don't think that's a thing anymore. I think Harden is, he's not above average. He's around average defensively. And uh, Houston's system has been able to hide him in certain matchups, especially against quicker players. But overall, he's with, you know stay within the scheme, and you're not seeing those random clips where he just falls asleep on defense and his guy back cuts him with easy dunks, and he's just looking around like what the hell just happened. So I think he's been more locked in this year. And I think you know in the in the Rockets acquiring Chris Paul, I think that uh, James Harden really can't have these mishaps or Chris Paul is going to make him hear it. I think he needed a guy like that just to, you know, have him in the locker room to give him shit if he uh, ends up, you know, missing rotations or making mistakes on defense. So I think he has been a lot better this year. And like you said, he has played pretty good defense, especially when he has to play like the power forward position and play in the post against bigger guys because he's uh, he's very girthy. So, (laughs) pause. (laughs) Like, uh, I'm going to agree with you, Josh, in terms of who deserves this, the MVP this year. I disagree about last year. I thought Westbrook last year was an absolute beast. Uh, he really carried that team, and his numbers were incredible. Um, and I thought he just had an out-of-this-world season. This year, Harden's been consistently the best player in the NBA. Uh, I agree with you, Peter, in terms of, yes, he doesn't play 
or he doesn't make as big of an impact on the defensive side of the ball. But that team without Harden is a lot worse um, than a team with him in the lineup. Um, obviously, the same argument could be made with the Cavaliers. I think it would not even be a playoff team without LeBron. Um, but at the same time, I think Harden's done a lot. He's really elevated his game. His team has been consistently the best team in the NBA this year. Uh, and he's the most valuable player to his team that is successful. I would argue that LeBron is more valuable to the Cavs, but they haven't really been all that good this year by their standards. Yeah, I, I don't like to fully agree, but I would also had Harden at the top of my list as well. Ever since he got to the team, they've clearly just built everything around him. And obviously, there in the past there was you know the Dwight Howard experiment, for example, that just didn't not, did not go very well. And this is the year that. You know, he's fully established himself as the guy on the team, along with Chris Paul. He's, you're right, he doesn't fall asleep on defense anymore. He's, you know, actively engaged. He's still averaging, like, eight assist, almost nine assists a game, still averaging over 38, 30 points a game, which is incredible, considering he has a guy like Chris Paul on the team who's also very ball-dominant. And the way this team flows, the way this team plays defense together... Uh, it just makes sense to have Harden as the number one option for this award. Uh, that being said, LeBron's also been incredible this year. In his, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the same thing. It's his 15th year in the league, and he has his best offensive stats ever. Uh, it's very true, except, you know, he's clearly coasting on defense. He's doing this more so this year where he's, like, he's tripping his teammates for not making rotations, even though he's not making rotations either. Uh, granted, you know, half of the year that he was with a pretty awful team that wasn't really engaged. Now he's got a bunch of young guys who are more engaged, but, you know, just are less experienced than the rest of the, than what LeBron wants or what he needs around him to actually win. Who did you guys have in third place is, I think, more where the interesting conversation would lie. Before we get to that, can we all agree, I think, that the runner-up would be LeBron James. Yeah. Is no that doubt. unanimous? No doubt. Yeah, I agree. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I think you could have made the case for either uh, Damian Lillard or Anthony Davis, but uh, I think the last month, especially LeBron's just taken his game, to, like his numbers are out of this world, especially the last month, because he's been playing so many minutes and he's been playing a lot of competitive games against a lot of high-level teams, and he's been putting up absolutely crazy stats. I think in the last month, he's been averaging like 31, 10, and 9. <laughs> on crazy percentages yeah. from the field, so he's definitely vaulted and secured the second place um, in terms of the ballot. Um, but yeah, the third spot is also very interesting. You have a lot of guys that could uh, potentially be, um, you know, the third the third runner up for the MVP. So who do you have, Josh? Uh, as of right now, I would go with Damian Lillard, uh, just because Portland right now is in the third seed. And I think they're not fourth, actually, with Utah winning tonight. But um, they've been very consistent over all the course of the year. I think both Lillard and AD have the same types of teams where they really have to do a lot for their teams in order for them to beat, especially the better teams in the league. Um, but they've been able to uh, you know, beat the teams they're supposed to be beating. And their bench just is not very good. And uh, even though they have McCollum and Nurkic, who has been severely underrated this year, 
Um, he doesn't really have a lot around him, and for them to be a top four seed in the Western Conference, even though the West is sort of you know a little bit down this year in terms of uh, the upper echelon teams, um, I think it's very impressive for Portland to take another step in their, their building process and make the playoffs for the fifth straight year, but also vault themselves into being a top four seed this year, even though they might just be a paper tiger, especially uh, come playoff time. But I think that. Um, those who are so close, I think you have to sort of base it on record right now. And right now, the Portland Trail Blazers just had the better record. So, yeah, Josh, again, I think you took a look at my notes before uh, this segment. But I agree I with you 100%. <laughs> um, I had Harden, LeBron, and I had Lillard. I think Lillard just was consistently playing at an elite level. Um, he's one of the best point guards in the game. Without him, his team is nowhere close to the playoffs. Um, and I, I, I think AD, especially since Cousins has been injured, um, has really taken over that team and vaulted them into a playoff spot. It looks like they're going to be making the playoffs this year. Um, but I, I would argue that for half the season, he had uh, one of the best or most skilled centers in the game and DeMarcus Cousins playing alongside him. And uh, they, they were good, but he also had that support as well. But as whereas Damian Lillard really had to carry that team on his own, of course, McCollum's a great player, and uh, they they overall had a good starting lineup, but that team doesn't deserve to be the third or fourth seed in the West unless Lillard had a crazy year, which he did this year. Peter, I'm just going to let you have the final word on who you think is the third place uh, in the MVP race. Yeah, I've been jostling with this for a while. The issue really is that, you know, are we going to reward Lillard because his team is third place in the West, uh, what is he overall? The team only has 48 wins, realistically, right? Their winning percentage is 600. That would put him in fifth place in the East. Uh, arguably, you could put like Joel Embiid in front of him, maybe Kyrie Irving if he was healthy all year. Uh, shout out to Toronto fans. You could put DeMar DeRozan in there very easily. and you know, maybe- Not very easily. You not could definitely easily. make the case for LeBron or uh, sorry for Demar over Lillard. Maybe not as easily, but Demar has me has meant essentially as much at, to that team as Lillard has. When Demar sits, I mean, the whole the whole team it revolves around him, right? Until the bench comes on, and uh, I I would disagree with that. I think yeah. the bench is a huge reason why Toronto has been able to vault into the first seat, especially. Yeah, but the bench is dominating other bench units, right? They're not consistently dominating other starting units. Yeah, but the fact is that when the rap starting unit goes against other teams starting units, especially the teams that are in the playoffs, they are doing well, but they aren't having that big gap in having the lead. It's really the difference in bench quality that is making the raps excel and win games by ten points, twelve points. The the their starting lineups are very comparable to a lot of the top teams in both the East and the West. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Uh, I just wanted to make you guys, you know, talk about Demar for a bit. But just, so, uh, just to be an outlier, so good- I'm gonna go with AD just for his defensive stature on the floor. Uh, you think the Trailblazers rely on Lillard a lot? The whole Pelicans team relies on AD to play, right? Uh, his second best player is Drew Holiday, who's obviously not a scrub in any sense of the word, but. His defensive presence on the floor, his ability to draw in like, you know, two or three defenders at once, and then the the either kick out or just to elevate above his defenders, 
it's a that's a lethal combination for the guy. Yeah, and I think that they've had similar impacts in different ways. Um, I think both guys have had to have these massive stretches. I think they both had two-month stretches around the same time in January and February where they sort of had to carry the, the load, where Lillard is averaging around 29 points a game, seven assists per game on crazy percentages. And then when Boogie went out, um, AD just took his you know his game to a whole other level. When that happened, he said he had to you know turn into the team's Westbrook, which he clearly did. And uh, they've actually been better without Boogie, which is not all that surprising because when Anthony Davis plays center, their their offense especially is basically unstoppable, and they've been playing at a crazy pace this year. Um, so when he plays center, their team is devastating. And uh, their defense, even though they've been giving up a ton of points per game with the pace that they play at, um, they're actually not all that bad. And um, with him averaging, like, the numbers that he's been averaging around, you know, 30 points a game, 12 rebounds, um, I think he's leading the league in blocks as well and steals. Um, he's up there as well. I think he's in the top 10. So both of those guys have been absolutely unbelievable. So I think... They're close, obviously, but um, I would just give a nod to Lillard just because I really did not expect Portland to be anywhere close to the 3-4. I didn't really expect New Orleans to make the playoffs either, to be honest, but yeah. um, I think that uh, with Portland being a top-four seed, I think he gets a slight nod over AD. All right, we're going to move on to the next award, so we're going to talk about Rookie of the Year. Uh, I think we know that there's a few really strong candidates, but I think the order might be up to debate, so Peter, I'm going to hear what you have to say on who do you have winning Rookie of the Year. I've got uh, Lori Bird winning Rookie of the Year, guys. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. Uh, I'm going to have to decide with Simmons on this one. We all know the debate really dies down to Simmons and Mitchell. And, uh, you know, Simmons, I don't, I, with the rules the way they are right now, I would have to give it to him. I personally don't like the idea that you can sit in the league for a year go through all the training, go through all the practices, and be considered a rookie. But, you know, that's another topic for debate for another time. Uh, right now, I'm going to go with Simmons. He's he's clearly uh, the rookie with the most triple-doubles in league history. I think he's he's essentially the next Jason Kidd at this rate, except he's 6'9 instead of, like, 6'3. He still can't shoot for a lick, but the way he plays defense, he's, over, he's able to elevate over all of his defenders. Uh... He's got that one crazy like right-handed hook shot in the paint that he always he's always able to get no matter where he is or what the defense is giving him. Uh, he's playing the point forward position obviously, and he's so much taller than any other defender that goes against him. So even if you sag off, he sees right over it and he makes that that pass to wherever he needs to go. He's super athletic. You know his defense is incredible. He's played all year. Like rather than sitting like Joel Embiid has for a few games, so I'm gonna have to side with Simmons, and he's been more consistent throughout the year. He started the year off with a bang, and he's despite like maybe a month lull in the middle there. As soon as the All Star break was over, he was right back to it. Yeah, I would tend to agree as well. I mean, Ben Simmons has been uh, the more consistent player over the course of the year. Both of them have had you know huge hot streaks, especially like later in the season. Um, Simmons to start the year uh, without Embiid, um, he was not very good. Um, just with him in the lineup without uh, Joel, uh, the team really struggled when Joel had to sit the back-to-back games up until the middle part of the season. But um, since Embiid has been out recently, Simmons has taken his game to a whole other level, and the team just operates differently. He plays at a whole new, uh, you know, aggression pace, and Philadelphia is obviously um, 
vaulted themselves into the three seed now, and they've won, I can believe, 12 or 13 straight games after today. 14. And uh, 14, well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would have them over Mitchell just by a bit. Mitchell's have, you know, had an absolutely amazing season as well. Nobody really expected the Jazz to uh, vault into the four seed in the Western Conference now. Um, we even with the Gobert being out, and Mitchell carried them for a large portion of the season, and he's made the players around him better just as Simmons has. And uh, for a rookie to um, really take over the team's offense for three quarters of the season, that's Mitchell's best case against Simmons because Embiid has really carried uh, the load offensively and especially defensively um, with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, but Mitchell, I think his one case over over Simmons would be that he's really been the first option for a majority of the season or longer than uh, Simmons has overall. Um, but Simmons is more efficient. He's a better defensive player, and he's been an unbelievable playmaker as well. And uh, his most recent stretch, I think, takes him over the top, I think, in terms of the matchup versus Mitchell. All right, well, I'm going to kind of go the other way, and I'm going to take Donovan Mitchell as my rookie of the year. And, again, I agree that this is clearly the two strongest candidates for this award. Uh, Ben Simmons has had an incredible year. The 76ers have won, what, 50 games since 2001? Um, they've already secured a top four playoff seed, and I think any of us on this pod would agree that like that would have been a, a great season uh, in September when or in October when the season would have started. Yeah, the, their over-under, I think, was uh, 40, 40 and a half or 41 and a half, depending on when you made your bet before the season, and uh, I was going to take the under and place a large bet on the under, so I'm glad I did not do that. Yeah, and uh, again... He's had a great season. Uh, he's shown that he's going to be a very good player for many years to come. He'll be an, an amazing, excellent like NBA legend probably if he can stay healthy and if he can develop a shot. Um, but that, that will come with time, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. But the player that I think really deserves this award is Donovan Mitchell because you look at what happened with Utah when they had Gordon Hayward leave and Rudy Gobert out for a good part of the first half of the season – um, you had this rookie come in, and he averaged over 20 points a, a game in the first half of the season. Um, he was doing it on helping his teammates get better. He was shooting over 40%, like I think roughly 35% from three. He's shooting over 80% from the free throw line. Um, he was playing, I, I believe, a, like he was a starter. He was playing roughly 30 minutes a game. Um, and over a course of the season... If you looked at the Jazz, they would not be in a playoff position. They would not be in a in what one of the first four teams in the West to secure a playoff position. I know we're late in the season, and there's still four or five teams that are vying for the final four spots. Um, but Mitchell's had an incredible year. I think another thing that is unique about him is he was a surprise. I don't think players or the league was ready for him to have such a big impact right away. Um, so I think he really deserves it, and he's only missed, I think, four games in the entire Jazz season so far, so he's played consistently well, and it, for me, it's hard to vote against him. Yeah, I think uh, Simmons has um, a lot of the same arguments as well. I mean, Simmons has played 78 games so far this season with uh, two games remaining as well, so he's uh, stayed healthy even despite missing the entire season last year. Um, but this entire rookie class has honestly been one of the best of all time, really, and it can be um, one of the better draft classes. And I think it's going to be one of the better draft classes we remember in the next 20 years, especially. 
um, just with just so much talent around the NBA. Um, in terms of honorable mentions, if we can get to that now, um, I think obviously Jason Tatum, I think, is the third guy you would mention in this conversation. Um, he, I didn't really expect him to start right away based on all the talent that uh, Boston had and just thinking that Brad Ski was going to bring him along slowly. But he started from game one, and from game one, he showed that he was an absolutely amazing offensive player. But I think as the season's progressed, he's shown that he's actually pretty good defensively as well. And uh, he can do a lot of things on the floor, and he was really underutilized, I think, over the course of the season based on his talent level and what he's shown so far. He was best three-point shooter in the NBA for the first half of the season, which was totally unexpected because uh, just based on his college game, you expected him just to be you know, one-on-one, mid-range type of scorer, but he's taken his game out to the three-point line. And uh, he's shown that he's, I think he's going to be one of the better scorers in the NBA as soon as, you know, maybe even two years from now, maybe even next year. Um, but uh, do you guys have any thoughts on uh, who would be the third guy in this conversation? Would you think it was Tatum, or do you think it, anybody else could possibly uh, vie for that spot? Yeah, I would agree it's also Tatum. He's, uh, he's a hell of a player, right? He's super versatile. He can defend from, what, the two to the four, maybe even the one, depending on who the point guard is. Like you said, he's an incredible shooter. Besides from that, like, lull in the middle, he would have been, uh, you know, in any other year, he would have been a real contender for the for the award. He came in surprisingly ready for such a young player. Uh, he was sprung into even bigger of a role than they anticipated with Hayward getting injured in the very first game. And he's, you know, he's taken it all in stride and played really well. He's... A crazy long defensive player as well. He's averaging a, a steal and almost a block a game to go with like 14 points. It's pretty good. Uh, 47% from the field, 43% from the from the three line. I mean, his numbers are great. Uh, I hope he can continue it in the playoffs because he's been incredible so far. Yeah, I, I again would agree with the third place um, candidate for this award i think jason tayton's come on to the scene and peter said it best he's versatile i do want to give another honorable mention just because i like the way he plays and i think he's going to be a great player for many years to come i think kyle kuzma um is an interesting player he plays with a lot of aggression uh he's fearless uh he loves shooting the ball he loves getting involved offensively and i think his development is going to only skyrocket with the many years and hopefully the Lakers get a lot of good players around him. Yeah, I think uh, Kuzma has been maybe the biggest surprise out of anybody in the draft. I mean, nobody really expected him to um, obviously start at this point of the season, but um, even in the first, even in summer league if you go back that far, um, he really showed out and uh, nobody really expected him to be this good of a shooter because in college he was not a good three-point shooter and he was not a good finisher at the rim. And then he came out in game one of the regular season, and he was just spectacular. I think in the first uh, 15 to 20 games, he was averaging 15 points off the bench in limited minutes. Limited as in, you know, 20 to 25 minutes, and Lakers fans were calling for Luke Walton to play him a lot more. And as the course of the season went on, um, he's been playing a lot more, and he's shown a lot of uh, different moves, different array of moves off the dribble especially, which is... uh, really been surprising how much talent that he has and that uh, he would go this late in the draft at 27. And uh, a lot of Lakers fans were angry at the trade at the time and trading D'Angelo Russell to Brooklyn for uh, Brooke Lopez and the 27th pick in the draft. But now you look at it, they got a huge steal in that draft. 
And I think it's without question now that the Lakers have won that trade based on how Russell's played this year, especially. But uh, Kuzma has been an absolute revelation and he's been unbelievable this year. Um, and again, just like Tatum in another year, I think he would have a very, very strong case for the rookie of the year. And uh, I think he's going to be a starter in this league for a long time. And I think he's he could also be an all star eventually in a couple of years as well. Yeah, I agree. And I love the way he plays. I just I just had to mention his name. I thought um, it's a it's a very good rookie year class, and uh, I think that it's a damn shame that he's not getting a bit more consideration. But hopefully he has his moments in the upcoming years to show uh, his mark on the NBA. Yeah, I also want to give a couple another honorable mentions because this class is so deep. Um, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich in the Sacramento has been really under the radar this year. He's been really good. Um, his shooting has been excellent um, throughout the course of the season. And on a team like that, where he's he's probably the first option on that team, which is sort of crazy to think about without Randall from the lineup especially. And uh, nobody's really taken notice because obviously it is Sacramento. But he's showing a really good all-around game. He's a very good pick-and-roll player. He's extremely heady. And even though he's a bit older than most of the rookies, I think he's about uh, 24 or 25 years old as he came over from the EuroLeague. Um, I think he's going to be uh, one of the better shooting guards that has come out of this draft especially. All right, we're going to move on to the next award, the sixth man. I think this is the award that is probably the most unanimous um, between us, I think between everyone that's going to be voting. Um, I think Lou Williams is going to win this in a landslide. I don't think there's a really strong case for anyone else winning it. Um, without like Chris Paul this year trading Blake Griffin halfway through the season, uh, having a series of like key injuries to players throughout the year, and the Clippers were still kind of in the playoff race until yesterday. Uh, they still managed to have 42 win season, so they're going to be a 500 plus team. And um, that mostly had to do with his scoring and his ability to put put up points. And uh, we know that he's won this award before, and he has great offensive potential. Uh, one thing I will note is this year I would argue that there wasn't as many strong sixth men. Um, candidates or maybe Lou Williams was just that much better but um, there wasn't as much of a an influence coming off the bench yeah I, I have to agree there's really no one else even in the conversation for uh, even coming close to Lou uh, he's obviously been the best bench player by far he's he took the Clippers guard injuries in stride and just took full advantage of the situation with both Beverly being hurt for the entire year you know, you had a, a guard rotation remaining of, like, Austin Rivers, Milos Teodosic, and essentially Lou Will. And he's been the most consistent one. He's been the healthiest one. And, you know, he's he made a case to be an all-star this year, which is just incredible for a guy coming off the bench. As for honorable mentions or second-place votes, I would, you know, continue to look at some of the guys from the Rockets, particularly Eric Gordon, uh, still a three-point sniper. He showed this year that he can stay healthy and be more than just a three-point shooter as well. Uh, we commonly had that perception since he got hurt that you know he's just going to park himself with a three and then just let him fly. But he's had a, a bunch of incredible dunks this year. You know he's driven a lot, he's passing a lot more, and still obviously shooting without a conscience. Yeah, I think sixth man is probably like the weirdest award out of all of them because it's sort of hard to really gauge if these guys are really sixth men because 
Lou Williams, Lou Williams is actually playing 32 minutes a game this year, and he's only started 19 games, which is sort of surprising because I thought he started more. Um, but he's playing 30, sorry, 33 minutes per game. Um, so he's really a starter. I mean, you have guys like Wes Johnson and Tyrone Wallace starting the game, but they might play four or five minutes, and Lou Williams comes in and plays 16 straight minutes. So um, it really depends on how you sort of gauge the award, obviously, but based on statistics and what Lou Williams has done this year, he's obviously going to win. But even a guy that like Will Barton, for example, he started 38 games this year, and he's also having a great year, his career year. He's averaging 16 points a game on uh, 45% from the field. He's um, been a huge contributor to the Nuggets in terms of getting back in a playoff race, especially with uh, Gary Harris out. And uh, like you said, Eric Gordon's the other guy. But uh, just like Barton, he's also started um, 30 games as well. Um, so and he plays, you know, around 30 minutes a game. He plays 31 minutes a game. So how do you really gauge the six-man award uh, going forward? I mean, Jamal Crawford was a guy who, just like Lou Williams, played a ton of minutes off the bench, and he basically was the de facto starter. So I think the award often comes down to who's the highest-scoring player off the bench and who plays the most minutes. And this year it's obviously Lou Williams, but that's not to degrade him at all. He's had an amazing season, and like you said, he. In any other season, um, especially in the Eastern Conference, if he was in the East, he probably would have made the All-Star team. But uh, unfortunately, he's in the West. So, but he's definitely a shoe-in to uh, unanimously take the award this year. Yeah, I just want to drop one more name before we move on to the next award, and that has to be Fred VanVleet. I think he's captained uh, Toronto's second unit off the bench, and that's been the best bench unit in the league. Uh, he's really stepped up his game. He's taken minutes away from. Um, DeLon Wright and Norman Powell and he's really kind of playing on both sides of the ball. He runs the offense really well. I think he's helped every player on that bench unit know their role and get them in good positions. He's been able to score. Uh, he's actually had a game-winning shot um, as well and uh, I think he's a, a player that has been good off the bench and the reason why the Raps are as good as they are. Yeah, he's also closing a lot of their games which is the most incredible part of it, considering he's like a second-year player and made his way out of the G League to get to where he is, he's uh, commonly part of their closing three-guard lineup with Lowry and Demar. And like you said, he hit that big shot against Detroit. You know, he's playing in-your-face defense against every other guard in the league, basically. And you know, he's he's been a great, great addition for that team. He's gonna get paid so well this summer. Shut up and sit down. Move on to the next award, DPOY, Defensive Player of the Year. Peter, take it away. Uh, despite how injured he's been, I'm going to have to go with Rudy Gobert on this one. Uh, the Jazz have, what do they have, maybe the second best defense in the league this year, probably the first, when especially when he's around. He really locks up the paint on that team. Uh, over the past years, there's been that idea that he couldn't play with Derek favors at all because they would both just clog up the paint, but he's really uh, elevated himself to a whole new level this year. He's played well with favors. He's leading. I don't know if he's leading the league in blocks, but he's got. He's up there, obviously. He's close to 2.5 blocks. Uh, you know, he's averaging well in the double digits and rebounds, and he's just. He's that defensive anchor that a solid defensive team really needs. Yeah, and uh, Utah's had an absolutely amazing defensive rating with him in the game. He's made such a huge difference. I think the other guy that I would mention in this conversation 
um, that's had a similar season defensively as him is uh, Joel Embiid, to where when he's on the floor, um, the Philadelphia 76ers have been an absolute monster on defense, and he's able to also, just like Gobert, uh, cover the perimeter as well, which is something that he didn't really have in his game last year, much like Gobert as well. I think both of those guys got quicker over the course of the offseason last year. Um, they have quicker feet. They're able to move side to side. I think they lost both lost a bit of weight, and uh, that's really helped them elevate their defensive game and being able to you know stay with guards on switches. Um, but their teams are able to sort of play the same type of style that or the Orlando Magic introduced um, about you know ten years ago with Dwight Howard, in that their defensive uh, backcourt especially sort of hugs up on uh, the perimeter players and tries to force them into the paint to, you know, go against the type, you know, either Rudy Gobert or uh, Joel Embiid. And that just changes the entire defensive scheme to where they can guard the three-point line but also guard the paint. So I think those two guys have, uh, they've, they've really been the top two defensive players this year. And uh, both of them have been injured for portions of the season. I know Gobert's going to end up playing around 60 games this year, and uh, Embiid's going to be around 65, I believe. Um, so those guys are very comparable defensively. But overall, I think that I would probably go with Gobert as well, just because uh, Utah's just a little bit better on defense with uh, him on the floor versus Embiid, even though both of them are just both both of them in the lineup. Uh, both teams have just been absolutely monsters on on defense. Yeah, again, I agree with you guys in terms of Gobert when he's on the court that he really changes that Utah defense. He gets back on transition. He's one of the best rim defenders in the league. Um, And he really makes teams change their offensive game plan. And uh, as well, Embiid's a very, very reasonable candidate for this award. But I'm actually going to go and choose a perimeter defender. I think Paul George has been excellent this year. Um, I know offensively he's probably struggled, and he's actually mentioned that himself, but defensively, I I think he's been the best perimeter defender in the league. Um, Against games... Against games... uh, Against games... Against Golden State in games, he was great. Uh, I think he did a good job on Durant. He was able to effectively get into Klay Thompson's face, um, and... I think that he's leading the league in defense uh, deflections. And yes, he had Andre Robertson for part of the season before uh, Robertson had his uh, injury. But I think he's really helped that OKC team individually stay in games because offensively they haven't been very good. They've been very ISO. Um, their offense seems very like kind of staggered. Um, they aren't playing as a team. But without Paul George's defense, I think the way the NBA now is guards would have torched that um but I, I think he really deserves this award and I agree that Gobert and Embiid have had great seasons I just think they've missed at least 20 games both of them and that's a significant portion of the season for me so I think that's where I kind of knocked them down a few notches and give the award to George I'm actually going to disagree with you there I think uh if you're going to go in that direction since we're talking about both players and Gobert and Embiid and how they've missed a bunch of games this year. I think that the best perimeter defensive player overall has been Andre Roberson. Um, if you look at NBAStats.com, he's actually been the third-ranked defensive player in the NBA this year behind Gobert and Covington. And with him on the floor, they have a 96 defensive rating. And obviously, without him, they've just fallen off a cliff. I know that's not Paul George's fault, obviously, and that he's had to play with guys like Alex Abrinas, um, 
Uh, Raymond Felton in the backcourts, who don't really play a lot of defense, but You're I think if you look here. at impact, <laughs> I think if you look at impact overall, um, OKC was a top five defensive team with Andre Roberson in the lineup, and uh, without him, they've totally fallen off a cliff, and uh, they've been in the bottom, I think, ten overall um, in terms of uh, defensive rating without him uh, over the course of the last what I think it's been about forty games. Forty-five, so, I think, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to have to disagree with you there. But I think George has had an amazing defensive season. I just don't think he's been as impactful as uh, his, his uh, backcourt mate in uh, Andre Roberson because uh, overall with uh, the defensive rating, Paul George is 105 over 100, uh, 100 possessions, uh, which means that he's nine points behind uh, Andre Roberson. And I like Oklahoma's uh, defense, especially on the perimeter, I know Russ has obviously been a problem as well. Um, but I just don't think he's had the same impact as Roberson, especially when you look at uh, the matchups when he's you know based off at Harden. He's been the only guy in the NBA that's able to uh, slow down Harden and made him shoot a really low percentage when playing against him, and they're really going to miss him in the playoffs. Yeah, you made a really so, good point, Josh. Uh, the only issue I'd bring up with everything you just spouted out, because it was a lot of information to take in, is that on NBA.com they still list Kawhi Leonard as the fourth highest player in defensive rating. Uh, if we're going to count Kawhi into it, then, you know, it's obviously a, it's a different issue. So I don't know if NBA.com st- backslash stats is, like, the one that we want to use as our reference point. That being said, Andre Roberson is an incredible defender and was probably more impactful than Paul George is on the defensive end for that team. Just wanted to throw this up there. Yeah, I, I agree. Again, like, I think injuries have to play a part of the the equation like if you're missing a quarter of your season i think it's really hard case to make that you're the defensive player of the year um if you miss five ten games sure like five to ten percent of the season um but missing more than that i think there's other players who've played the full season have had a a great impact on their team Um, of course paul george and the thunder haven't been that good but i think without him they would have been very very bad mainly because the players that Josh correctly pointed out would have been on the court. Yeah, and I think the other guy you have to look at in the race is also Anthony Davis. Um, without him on the court, uh, obviously New Orleans has just bled points, and he's been their rock the entire season, even though he has, like other players, missed a bunch of games this year. Um, he's been absolutely dominant on the defensive end. He's led the league in box, obviously. And he's been consistent over the course of the regular season, even though, again, New Orleans plays at a super high pace, so they give up a ton of points as well. Uh, but if you account for pace, New Orleans has you know, been in the middle of the pack, and uh, with the guys in their lineup, they should be a lot worse than they are. And the main reason why they're in the middle of the pack um, is because of Anthony Davis. I mean, when you have Rajon Ronda, who's arguably the worst defensive point guard in the NBA starting for you at the point of attack, <laughs> I mean... Just harsh, man. It's true, man. Like he, he had a couple first-team uh, defense uh, nominations, obviously, but he's completely fallen off a cliff the last five years. And much like uh, your favorite Kobe Bryant in his last few seasons in the NBA, um, his defensive reputation just sort of traveled without uh, a lot of people really looking at what he was doing on the court. No offense to Kobe. Um, yeah, but sure. <laughs> but uh yeah i mean anthony davis is guys like you know etuan moore nikola miritich who's a disaster on defense and a bunch of bit players off the bench and he's been able to stabilize their, def- their defensive unit uh, just based on how good he is in terms of um his movement on the perimeter uh, obviously his blocking shots and just defending the paint so he's also in the conversation i think as well uh 
Any love for Al Horford? Yeah, I was gonna say special shout out to like the bo- the whole Boston team, basically, right? Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, even though he's hurt right now, and Al Horford. These guys have been incredible on defense this year. The the ability to get this much team chemistry in in one unit after an off season is just insane. They've got what four. Three guys in the top ten in defensive ratings this year. Uh, Al Horford is at eleven, and you know they have what the best defense in the league right now. It's it's incredible what Brad Stevens has been able to get out of these guys defensively, and they don't show any signs of slowing down. You know, uh, despite losing Marcus Smart, they're still playing uh, a really strong defense. They're able to switch all the perimeter players, and with Tatum's length, he's able to guard some guys at the four too. And it's, yeah, the whole team, it's great defensively. And there's not really much, there's not much else to say about it I, in my mind. All right, Josh, we're going to give you a chance to take the next award. Uh, most improved player. This also should be fairly straightforward. Yeah, this one is also very straightforward, but there's a lot of players beyond the clear most improved player, which is uh, Victor Oladipo, obviously, this season that um, have had amazing seasons, but we'll talk about him first. Um, Victor Oladipo, obviously a guy that was much maligned through his first, uh, you know, four seasons in the NBA in Orlando. A lot of people just said that he was just never going to put it together because he never really showed any definitive, um, specific talents. Like, he was an okay shooter, pretty good dribbler. He was was very explosive, obviously, but he wasn't really able to use those talents on a really bad Orlando team. And then he went to Oklahoma, where a lot of people expected him to break out, and instead um, he, you know, basically took a back seat, uh, which everyone else did in that season, to Russell Westbrook. Um, but this year he's been able to uh, go to a team that just sort of gave him the ball and said, "Go ahead and run with it." And he's taken the Pacers to the the fifth seed in the East, and he's obviously he's obviously an All Star this season, and he's shown a lot of improvements in a lot of different areas. His shooting has been. Uh, much better this season, but I think the area that he's improved most is being the primary ball handler on offense and uh, being able to create for this team. And he's been one of the most clutch uh, players in the NBA as well, which uh, just shows how improved um, he has become over the course of the season and uh, how improved his ball handling especially has been because uh, there's not a lot of guys in the NBA that's been able to uh, slow him down this season, which is impressive given you know the roster and their expectations. Most people didn't really expect them to be anywhere close to the playoffs, and he's been uh, by far the number one reason as to why they're in the you know the fifth seed right now. Yeah, again, I think Oladipo, hands down, favorite. Uh, I'm interested to hear either yours or Peter's opinion on who would be the runner-up or honorable mentions. Uh, I've got Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't know if he's... I don't know if I would put him second. I would need to look a little bit more clearly, but that dude has taken an incredible leap this year. Um, it's his fourth year in the league. You know, he was drafted to Detroit in, like, 2014 and really was basically out of the league if he didn't uh, get extended or if he didn't get a chance this year, right? Uh he only got the chance because Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell were out at this exact same time, and he was essentially the third point guard on the roster, and he's really taken in stride and just exploded. Uh, we've seen him hit a few game winners this year. We, he had that long stretch of, I don't know, 20-something games, maybe 30-something games, where you know he was scoring in the 20s pretty consistently. Obviously, he had his off nights, but 
he's really uh, stepped up his game to a whole new level. I mean, last year he was averaging seven points a game and could have said goodbye to the league. Now he's averaging 12.5 points with 6.5 assists a game. He's able to shoot threes now, and he's very fluid. He's tall. He's a nice tall point guard. He's great defensively. Uh, yeah, he would be my pick for number two. Yeah, I'm going to throw another name in there, and I'm going to say uh, from your beloved Denver Nuggets, I'm going to say Jamal Murray's actually been uh, a player that I've seen improved a lot compared to last year. Uh, he's now had a role, a bigger role on the team, being kind of an everyday guard for the Nuggets, uh, and he's uh, raised his averages. I think he's averaging 16 points, uh, four rebounds, and roughly four assists per game, and overall he's just shooting the ball a lot better with his increased role, and uh, they're pushing hard for a playoff spot, and um, just as from an individual point of view, I think he's really raised his game. Yeah, I would agree as well with uh, Jamal Murray. But um, just like the Sixth Man of the Year award, it's really hard to judge um, what most improved really means. Um, I think a lot of second-year players or even third-year players, um, they take a leap based on uh, the team dynamics and the role. And I think Jamal Murray is an extremely talented player. And I think that his development, obviously, this year has been huge for the Denver Nuggets and, you know, being able to get, in, get into the playoff race and uh, be the ninth seed right now and possibly make the playoffs the next couple of games. But um, he's turned into the second option on that team behind Jokic. And his uh, three-point shooting especially has increased this year. And his off-the-dribble game is a lot better than it was last year. He's more in control off the dribble especially. Um, but he has a long way to go on defense, obviously, which will improve over the course of time. But uh, I'm very happy for my uh, fellow Canadian that he's uh, been able to show uh, what he showed even before he got drafted in um, you know, the Olympics. He was an, obviously an amazing player, and he was a leader of that team in terms of offense, in terms of being the point guard and uh, you know, the leading scorer for that team as well. Um, but my second guy in the uh, most improved ballot would be Joe Ingles. Um, I think that he's shown a huge improvement this year especially on offense uh, with Rudy Gobert out of the lineup um, and uh, Donovan Mitchell taking over the offense. He's essentially become the second option on offense. He's just been the secondary ball handler on uh, most of their possessions. And uh, he just he's a really smart player, and he's turned into, um, I think, one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA as well this season. He's been super consistent from the three-point line. And he's basically up his stats in every single category. He's a better rebounder this year. He's a much better passer this year, obviously, as well, the assist rate. And uh, on defense, he actually isn't that bad. He reminds me a lot of, uh, if you guys remember, Jorge Garbajosa <laughs> on defense. I know that's going a little bit way back. Oh, wow. And uh, RIP to Jorge after that, you know, Al Horford injury, obviously. But um, he plays great positional defense, and he's just super smart, and he plays within the team dynamic, and he's maybe their third most uh, valuable player on that team because um, when he messes games they miss like he, he does everything for them and uh, he's been a huge contributor to the reason why they're the fourth I think after tonight the third seed in the East, early in the Western Conference sorry another name I get seen thrown around for this conversation is Clint Capella so I'm gonna let Josh maybe throw in a few reasons why he should be considered maybe why you didn't put him in your list of top three can candidates for the uh most improved player um i like clint as well um i'm not really sure how much he has improved overall i think in the team dynamic he's had better defensive players around him which has helped him overall especially with pj tucker in the lineup um but he's definitely improved his game uh, i think on offense he just knows how to play his role obviously he knows what he is and he doesn't try to do too much 
I think he's really improved his uh, finishing around the basket, besides, obviously, all the alley-oops that he gets from uh, CP3 and Harden. But um, his, his ability to catch and finish um, on the move and then also catch and make plays around the free-throw line when he's being defended, um, when there's a rotation, has also really improved his overall um, overall look at the game in terms of you know making the right play, defend, depending on if he was challenged at the rim to pass it back out to the three-point line or to just go straight to the basket and try to finish, has really improved. And uh, defensively, he's been maybe the second uh, best reason as to why Houston's improved to being the seventh best defense in the league. I think P.J. Tucker's their best defensive player overall, and he's the reason why they vaulted into being by far the best team in the NBA in terms of record uh, in the regular season. But um, I think for him, it's just more so getting a bigger opportunity to play more minutes. Um, so I think the biggest reason why he's improved this season is his conditioning, because uh, at the start of the season, Mike D'Antoni said that um, he was playing 24 to 26 minutes a game last year on average, and this year he's upped it to around 30 minutes per game. And I think he's going to be uh, the biggest reason as to whether the Houston Rockets are, are going to be able to beat the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs, because if he's able to play uh, extended minutes and be able to protect the rim, I think they have a good shot at beating the Warriors. But um, overall, in terms of most improved with him, I think that I, I just don't have him in my top three because I just see him as the same type of player. He's just better conditioned and he's had more opportunity to play more minutes this year and better system as well um yeah. all right so moving on to i think the most competitive award this year with a lot of great candidates it's coach of the year gentlemen report to the baseline to the baseline um, I think this is probably the toughest one there's a lot of coaches that come to mind especially because you look at some coaches that had a lot of talent and they were able to have a great season. And then you look at other coaches that were able to salvage their season because of injuries, or you look at coaches that had very little talent and very little expectations, and they're exceeding everything. Um, but the one that comes to mind right away is uh, Nate McMillan on Indiana. Um, there was no way that I imagined that they would be a team that would be close to a 50-win season, um, fighting for one of the top four seeds in the NBA, uh, and they've been in almost every game they've played, and I really haven't seen them get blown out too often. Um, they had to bring in Victor Oladipo. Uh, he's been kind of their star man. He's They've been playing exceptional defense, and I think every team in the East knows that if they play Indiana, it's not going to be a walk in the park. Um, this team, although they don't have big-name superstar players, um, they're going to be a tough, tough matchup. And I think for what he's done with that team, uh, he's going to be my coach of the year. And I know it's a surprise, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say for who would be your coach of the year. Yeah, up until about two weeks ago, I was on the same page as you. He would have been my coach of the year as well. Um, but as of right now, as much as it you know pains me to say this, I think that uh, Brad Stevens is the coach of the year. Um, no matter who's been out of the lineup this year, whether it's Hayward, you know, obviously having his injury five minutes into the first game of the season, now with uh, Kyrie out especially, um, with what they've been able to do without those two guys uh, throughout the course of the season, at certain points with the Irving being injured, um, and now obviously being injured for the rest of the season. Um, since his injury, they they won six straight games, and with five of those being an extremely tough Western Conference road trip, and they play the exact same way. It's, it's sort of like the Spurs system. They're sort of like Spurs East, to where they can just fill in players, and they play the exact same system with the exact same amazing defense. Again, like Peter mentioned before, they're the number one ranked defense in the NBA right now. 
So it doesn't really who you, no matter who you slot in there, um, whether Marcus Smart is injured, you just put in Terry Rozier, or even a guy like uh, Yabusele, who nobody's ever heard of. You can just keep play, putting these guys in the lineup, and uh, it doesn't really matter who's in there. They're going to play really, really tough, hard-nosed defense, and they just find a way to score just enough points to get over the hump and uh, take advantage of matchups on, uh, on offense, obviously. And he's, I think he's also the best um, out-of-timeout coach in the NBA in terms of drawing up plays. Um, so I would give the nod to Brad Stevens just by a hair um, over uh, both Nate McMillan and I think Quinn Snyder's also in the running as well with the Utah Jazz. But there's a ton of guys, like you said, for this award that you could bring up. Yeah, there's at least like six or seven candidates for this award. Uh, unsurprisingly, I'm going to have to go with Dwayne Casey on this one, making this our first one that we've all disagreed on, finally. But I'm going to go with Dwayne Casey. Uh, Last year, when the Raptors were eliminated from the playoffs, uh, Masai made that declarative statement that we need to have a culture change in Toronto. And, you know, not only just the media, but all the fans thought that Dwayne Casey was out the door. And it was the exact opposite. You know, he worked with his two superstars in Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. They've really come together as a unit. And I think the most important part of his coaching effort this year hasn't been just the on-court uh, result, but the way that his team has developed overall. So, like you did mention, Josh, uh, Brad Stevens is the best at out-of-timeout plays, no doubt. Uh, Dwayne Casey might be one of the better developers in the league with the way that their guys have just come out of nowhere this year. Uh, Pascal Siakam came from, was obviously a draft pick, but spent a lot of his time in the G League last year. So did Pirtle. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, as we discussed earlier, came from the G League into what he is now. And DeLon Wright has played in both the G League and in the NBA at the same time. And obviously we have Norm Powell, who got paid last year, and is really struggling to find minutes against uh, against all these guys on their bench. And I think primarily it's due to the way that the coaching staff in Toronto has just elevated this, these young guys to another level where they've internally developed like a system on their own and a, a solid chemistry with each other. They brought in CJ Miles as the veteran to complement the younger players and you know we've all said it already they do have the best bench in the league and it's the coaching staff is a huge huge reason for it. All right well I'm gonna ask Peter you just to round up who would be your top three? So I know you had Dwayne Casey winning the coach of the year. Who would be second, the runner-up, and uh, third place? I, I would go with exactly with what you guys said afterwards. I'd go with Brad Stevens, just based on what his young guys have done, having to adjust with through multiple injuries, and they're still one of the best defensive teams in the league. And then Quinn Snyder, for the exact same reasons. best Some of the best defensive teams in the league. Uh, lots of injuries as well, and they've just gone straight through it or no love for uh nate mcmillan eh uh, honorable um, mention honorable mention all right well i'm gonna round up my, my top three so again i think nate mcmillan de- deserves coach of the year just based on the way the team's played consistently over the the entirety of the season uh, i think brad stevens has done an exceptional job with boston considering their injuries as josh mentioned uh, and I don't have Dwayne Casey anywhere close to my top five. I think he's done a great job. He definitely deserves an honorable mention, but lower down in the six, seven, eight, maybe. Um, 
positions for coach of the year. Uh, I'd say Quinn Snyder deserves um, third. And uh, honorable mention to Brett Brown, um, just because Philadelphia has been a really, really good team this year. So, again, Nate McMillan winning, Brad Stevens uh, runner-up, Quinn, si- Quinn Snyder as the third place, and Brett Brown is really the honorable mention. Yeah, and then uh, my top three is uh, the same as yours, but in different order. Again, I would go with Brad Stevens as of right now, with Quinn Snyder coming in second. Um, those teams are very similar in how you know their paths uh, towards a top seed in their conference. Um, but I think Nate McMillan will be third in in my rankings. Um, as you said, they've had a huge surprise season. They're the fifth seed in the East, which nobody expected, and they've created an identity, especially on defense, um, to where they're going to be in every single game, uh, no matter if their offense you know hasn't really caught up in the same game. So. I think those three are my top three, and uh, again, honorable uh, mention to Dwayne Casey. The Raptors are top five in both offensive and defensive rating this year, which, uh, as everyone knows, is a, um, a huge caveat as to whether they're going to possibly even make the finals, because uh, most teams in the past 20 years have had at least um, a top five offense and a top ten defense, or the opposite, and he's really vaulted the Raptors into becoming a much better defensive team, and their offense has flowed a lot better, and I guess we will see in the playoffs if that will continue. All right, we're going to move on to the last award. Uh, I think this is going to be a really quick one, guys. Uh, I, I don't think there's as much debate here, but who knows? Uh, executive of the year. Uh, I'm just going to take the lead on this one, and I think uh, in Houston, um, the the executive there, I'm going to have to get his name. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to redo this one. Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey, yes. Okay, so I'll say again. All right, so guys, we're going to have to move on to the next award. I think this one's going to be a quick one, um, but if you guys feel differently, let me know. I think uh, Daryl Morey from the Houston Rockets has really put up a, together a very strong team, uh, bringing in, obviously, one of the better point guards in the league, Chris Paul, and um, there was always that debate, like, how was James Harden going to fit in with this after coming off of a great season where he was in the MVP race and um, a career year? How was he going to work with uh, Chris Paul? And if anything, they worked much better together. I think James Harden benefited of having a player that was going to be ball dominant and uh, create a lot of opportunities for him and players around him to get the ball and score. And uh, he also added uh, Luke Ma and uh, Luke Ma Emote and uh, PJ Tucker, um, and now they're a top ten defense. And that was a huge knock on the Rockets last year. Um, and uh, I think he's really, really done a good job of assembling that team. See, I'm gonna have to disagree with you on this one. Um, although I believe he's probably going to win the award, I think it's a lot closer than uh, than you described. I think that based on the last award and putting Nate McMillan as your top coach, I think you also have to recognize the job that their GM has done as well. Uh, Kevin Pritchard has done an absolutely amazing job uh, putting this team together. And that was in an offseason to where he was probably the most criticized GM in the NBA for trading Paul George and getting the package that he got back. Uh, Most people thought that uh, Victor Oladipo was severely overpaid and an average NBA shooting guard, and also DeMontis Sabonis was a disappointment as a rookie. And uh, he saw something in both of those guys, and he didn't get a first-round pick back, which is something that uh, most people around the NBA and um, experts thought um, was a huge ripoff for them. I mean, in trading one of the better, maybe top 15 players in the NBA and Paul George, they get a lot more back for him. 
Um, but he saw something in these two guys, and obviously uh, both of those guys have been massive contributors as to why they're the fifth seed in the East. And as we explained before, I mean, nobody expected Indiana to be this good, so I think you also have to give a nod to him. And I think it's a very close um, a very close uh, vote with those two guys um, because Houston was the second-best team in the NBA last year in terms of record. Uh, so now that they are the first seed and they have a better chance to win the championship, obviously Daryl Moore is doing an amazing job in bringing the players in, like, like you mentioned, with Mbamute and Tucker and obviously Chris Paul. But I think you have to give a huge shout-out to Kevin Pritchard for the job that he's done with Indiana in a season that nobody anticipated. Yeah, I'm going off the board and going with Danny Ainge on my end. Uh, he brought in Gordon Hayward, who unfortunately got hurt. He swindled Cleveland to get Kyrie Irving and, you know, got rid of Isaiah, who was a lingering injury. Uh, and then drafting the young guys. Uh, Tatum, he made that trade to get Tatum in, in the third spot after they had the first position. Uh, he, I guess he saw something that he wanted there, and it was the right decision. Um, nice and quick. And the bench unit is also extremely strong. Sorry, I just wanted to add that in. Uh, the Marcus Morris trade to get rid of Avery Bradley, who's also being hurt essentially all year. And bringing in the big man, Aaron Baines, has really solidified them at the five. Yeah, but Danny Edge gets too much love, so screw him. Yeah, I guess. He hasn't won anything since, like, 08. I mean, people like you know have you know huge respect for him, obviously with that Brooklyn trade, obviously. But I'm just tired of hearing about Danny Age because Boston still hasn't done anything yet. But at the same time, they're really set up well for next year Danny, with all the talent that they have in place. Danny but, Age. Uh, I can't stand the way that you know people talk about him around the NBA with Boston, um, obviously not being a championship team since 2008, and just my hate for the Celtics in general. So. He was my third place finisher in this category, but uh, you know, screw Danny Age. <laughs> yeah, sure, I guess. Uh, I still see it, and I try not to listen to everything else as much. And he also passed on that, or he—he he actually got really lucky. If you think about how he tried to offer up like four guys to, or four draft picks to move right for. You know, the ability to get Justice Winslow, who's an incredible player, but four draft picks would have been insane. That's the other thing why I don't like hearing about Danny Ainge so much is you hear us, it's almost every second week a story comes out as to why Danny Ainge passed on a player that um, he really wanted. It's like if you really wanted this player that bad in the draft, you would either trade it up or pick them over, you know, in the first round. Like there was talk early in the season about him not, you know, drafting Draymond Green. And that he said he was really enamored with Draymond Green and he wanted to draft him, but he didn't have the pick. It's like you could have traded up if you really saw that much in him. And obviously with uh, Winslow, that story as well, and wanted to trade four first-round picks. So it's not like he hasn't had his missteps. It's just he's got a really lucky as well. He's obviously been an amazing executive too, but at the same time, like I'm just tired of hearing all these different stories as to why they didn't draft X player in the second round. He even talked about Nikola Jokic as well in his year, too. So it's like, honestly, if you really like the guy, just draft him. I don't want to hear these stories 10 years later as to why you didn't draft him. That's just a Boston homerism thing, though. That's not, you know, that's just people hyping him up because he's got the hand of a lot of the media guys. Well, these stories are coming from somewhere, and I'm pretty sure it's from his office. <laughs> he just likes bragging. He's his, he's his own league. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Uh, any any love for Colby Altman after the midseason trades to really revamp that Cavaliers lineup? I think if they continued what 
what they had before. I think their team would be they'd still be a playoff team, but I don't think they would be a team contending for the title or at least making it to the NBA Finals. Um, I would I would say that's net neutral because he made that trade for uh, you know Isaiah Thomas first, so he's the one that sort of put them in that position to where they were, you know, in terms of depth, they were um, lacking a lot of depth early in the season because of that trade, since Isaiah didn't play halfway through the season. And then obviously they brought him back a bit too early, and Isaiah obviously didn't look the same, and now it's, you know, it's uh, season's over with uh, hip uh, surgery, um, which happened about uh, two weeks ago. Um, so you put the, the team in that position, um, but obviously Kyrie put them in a tough spot as well. So he made a good trade midseason in putting the Cavaliers back into uh, what I think is, uh, you know, them being the favorite um, to make the finals. But uh, at the same time, he has LeBron James on his team. So you put shooters and a couple defensive players around LeBron, LeBron, you're making the finals in the East regardless. So I think he's done an okay job, but he also, again, put them in this position to have to make that massive trade um, midway through the season. Yeah, he also signed Derek Rose. So that's a hard no on my end. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. That guy's a corpse now. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Josh, I agree with you again. I don't know what's happening today, but I seem to be agreeing with you a lot today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to have to change it up or something. Um, but we're going to move on to. Uh, no, no. We have uh, one more. Uh, it's not an NBA award, but I want to know your first team all NBA. Um, we're going to make this quick. Name your five players. I'm not going to interfere, even if you say DeMar DeRozan. I'm going to restrain myself. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's get the most obvious players out of the way. Harden and LeBron. There's three of them, right? You agree there's three? Harden, LeBron, and Anthony Davis? Yes. Obviously. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So those, so then we have those positions filled, right? Yeah, no doubt. So we need okay. one more guard and one more forward. Uh, I'm taking, despite what you guys love, I had to go with Westbrook and Kevin Durant as my last two. Wait, are we doing guys that we think deserve it or guys that we think will get it? I would guys say deserve it. Deserve, yeah. yeah. Deserve, deserve, then I'm going Lillard and Durant. Yeah, that was my list as well. I had Lillard and uh, KD. Um, but like you said, I think Westbrook is probably going to end up yeah. – um, being the first team All NBA point guard just because of his stats again, even though Lillard has outplayed him the entire season, and uh, Portland has a better record. So much like the MVP award last year, Westbrook is going to vault into the top spot because people love triple doubles. They also love yeah, people. guys who slap the floor when they play defense, who pull up their shorts extra high and make me mugs to the fa- to the cameras. All the things that Russell Westbrook does extremely well. Yeah, they just love hype. Um, I'm going to, surprisingly, Peter, when you said uh, something about love, I almost thought you mentioned Kevin Love, and I was almost going to end this pod right then. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, again, I think Damian Lillard uh, deserves uh, an all-NBA, all-first-team NBA selection. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to get it this year, um, but I think he's definitely deserving of it, and Kevin Durant, uh, I would definitely give him the nod as well. Um, I, I think this year has been an interesting year in terms of uh, injuries and players not playing the full season and um, really kind of gearing up for the playoffs. So uh, there's a few players. It would have been nice to see them play the whole season, Kyrie being one of them. Um, also uh, with Curry and depending on how healthy he would have been um, in the later stretch of the season. But yeah, uh 
kind of unanimous here. So we have Damian Lillard, we have James Hart, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James rounding out our first team All-NBA. No one else? No comments? Sounds We're all great. good? Special shout-outs to uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, obviously, for leading his team. I uh, got Jimmy Butler... DeMar DeRozan will end up in there. It'll be really interesting to see which guard gets cut out because there's going to be, you know, between Butler, Steph, and Kyrie, uh, someone's going to have to get cut out. So it'll be interesting to see which guard gets cut out of the top, uh, not the first team, but the second the, team. Or th- second and third teams. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's and gonna I be- think with the. With the first team, I think that if uh, guys like Gobert and Embiid played more games, I think that they would have had a real case um, for the center spot and putting AD into the power forward slot uh, with KD missing a bunch of games this year. So, unfortunately, those guys are only going to end up playing around 60 games uh, for each of them. But uh, with their strong defensive play and uh, their teams obviously vaulting into uh, you know uh, spots where people didn't really expect, obviously, with the fourth and fifth seeds, and now Philadelphia third, actually, um, I think those guys had a real case before they got injured um, in, you know, being a, a first-team All-NBA selection. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think KD is, has to be the, the power forward slot for this season just based on his overall play. And I think he's played enough games to really qualify in most people's minds. Yeah. I think the uh, second-team All-NBA and third-team are going to be really interesting. And uh, uh, maybe once the season's wrapping up, uh, we'll maybe have a chance to dive into that a, di- a bit deeper. Um, but... We've had a great episode. We've uh, we've had a little contention here and there, some position, some awards more than others. Um, but we'd like to thank all our listeners for joining us today. Remember to rate, subscribe, leave us comments. If you have any questions, you can shoot us an email at stretch4pod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at stretch4pod. All right, NBA playoffs are coming soon. Tune in for our next episode. We're going to be talking about matchups, who's coming out of the East, who's coming out of the West. Uh, A lot of good basketball coming up in the next couple of weeks. See you folks soon. Can't wait for DeMar DeRozan to win the finals MVP. (laughs) Peace.